Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the Lord I breathe. I thank you that you are good. Lord, I love you. Lord, as these children go downstairs, let them know and hear and understand your word and grow closer and closer to who you are and be with those that lead and and inspire them through the Holy Spirit to, to share about what you have done in our lives. Let us never get weary of the gospel. Let us continually love and cherish your son. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys could turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, we're in chapter 4 and we're looking at verses uh, 1 through 6. And I called this sermon, Christ Suffices. Which is true in so many ways. I mean, the word suffice, it means to, to satisfy or to meet our needs. And I don't usually do this, but I broke it down into three parts. Number one, Jesus' suffering suffices the penalty of sin. I mean, His death was once and for all. His death was once and for all sufficient for all sins. Number two, a surrender to Jesus suffices. What happened in the past is done. We've moved on from these old ways, and now we're looking at this new life in Jesus. And number three, Jesus suffices in life and in death. I mean, Jesus is sufficient for all of the, what the world is telling us. When the world treats us badly, and Christ's death was sufficient now and forevermore in all circumstances. Let's look at the text, starting at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh and is seized from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And when you read this text, you see some interesting conundrums. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't understand completely all of it. But I really want us to not lose the application in this text. As believers, this text is essential for Christian living and what it should look like. And theologians and pastors, they, they have struggled with this text throughout time. There is definitely not a universal agreement on what the Holy Spirit is trying to say through the pen of Peter. But I can promise you this, that I have checked and rechecked and studied it through and through, and I have come what I believe is the most plausible explanation. And in doing that, I can tell you that I used a Look at the Book series by John Piper. And I want you to remember that. I used some of his scripture. Now, the rest of it is my own paraphrase, but, but I really challenge you guys to go and look at these Look at the Book series. Now, I don't agree with John Piper on everything he says, but I really, really love these Look at the Book series. And in fact, I do a blog on Mondays. And I've tried my best, even though I really don't live up to it, to try to, to demonstrate or to, to act like I'm doing it in this way. And if you'd like a refresher on this text, go to DesiringGod.org and you can find 
these particular texts on his website. So let's look at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has seized from sin. And so often we read this text and we think just because we suffered with Christ, because we are His, that we will no longer sin. But I believe there's a couple problems with this statement. First is our understanding of what suffering really is, especially in this text. And some theologians would try to to compare this suffering with with verse 4 where it talks about the world maligning us for not doing these worldly things. And I'm going to tell you, there's people that are smarter than me that have come to this particular understanding. But I think it's so much deeper than that. And we tend to think that because people make fun of us, because we're following Christ, and and they made fun of us one year, three months, six days, ten hours, and, and 26 minutes, and 26, 27 seconds ago, that we've suffered for Christ. And I get it, suffering means to, to have pain. It means to have distress or, or hardship. And I can maybe make a case for hardship, definitely. But I'm telling you right now, when I meet Stephen, Stephen who was stoned for his faith, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to say, Stephen, I kind of know what you're talking about. You know, Jimmy down the street called me a Jesus freak three times. And I'm pretty sure when I meet Stephen someday, I'm not going to say, I know what you're talking about. They made me wear masks in 2020. And just like you, I I don't like wearing masks. I don't like wearing them at all. But I just don't want us to think of them as suffering for Christ. I mean, people actually suffered for Christ. Like John Huss in 1415, who was burned at the stake for preaching in his native Czech tongue so his congregation could understand the Word of God. And these are his words while he is burning. Lord Jesus, it is for Thee that I patiently endure this cruel death, and I pray to Thee, have mercy on my enemies. I mean, imagine telling Jim Elliot, who suffered for Christ in 1958 when he was killed with four other missionaries trying to establish contact with the Aka Indian tribe in Ecuador, and he was killed for his faith. And he's not even the real hero in this story. Imagine his wife, Elizabeth, who stays there for two years learning the Aka language from a lady that ran away named Deuma. And she learns it so that she can go back to this tribe that has killed her husband. And in doing so, they see this, this huge amount of forgiveness in her heart and they come to Jesus Christ. I mean, that is suffering. And second, I don't know about you, but sin is a constant battle in my life. I have not stopped sinning. Now, I have a different mindset about sin, and I have a desire to stop sinning, but it has not stopped. So what is this text telling us? And I think we have to look at this ultimate suffering of Christ's death on the cross. Let's look at verse 1 again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. This ultimate suffering of death. And then it says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, who has died to the flesh, has ceased from sin. 
Man, do we arm ourselves with this same wake of thinking. We have suffered in the flesh. We have died to the flesh. What does it mean to seize from sin? And I think it's so much deeper. And in, in suffering with Christ is what it is. And this isn't my language. I pulled this from the Bible. I'm not this smart. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Dead in the flesh and alive in the Spirit, because Christ suffered once and for all. And it keeps on going. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. I mean, there it is again. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We have been healed. And what have we been healed from? From sin, from death, from from separation from Jesus. And it's not just Peter that says this. Look what Paul says in Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And this is 7, right here. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Death. Our old self was crucified with Jesus. When we surrendered to Him, all sin was wiped away. We, you, I... We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are no longer held bondage to sin. We are free. God no longer sees our sin, but sees it through the lens of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. We are seen holy. We are seen righteous because of His work on the cross. So what does that look like for believers? First of all, we die in principle to sin. We are sinless in the eyes of God because of what Christ did. Not because of what we did, because of what Christ did. And every sin we have ever committed and every sin we will ever commit has been forgiven. While at the same time, this knowledge should drive us to have a hatred for sin. Not the people that commit them. No, not the people, but the sin itself. Man, we are made new in Christ. And we should be committed to not sinning. We should be focused on this new life in Jesus Christ. Not on this old life, what the world is telling us to do. When we surrender to Jesus... Everything that we did before is sufficient. It's sufficed. It's done. We don't need it anymore. We need Jesus Christ. That is our focus. We should not dwell on these past things. There is something so much better. That leads us to the second area. Surrender to Jesus suffices. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So there's this line. 
right? This line in our life. And that line is the cross. And everything that happened before, these worldly desires are on this side of the line. And everything that happens after is on this side of the line. And it is for Christ. It is for this new life. These things of Christ are enough. They, they suffice. They satisfy us. Now, don't get me wrong. I still sin. But it's not my desire. I want so desperately to do the right thing. You see, I heard about this, this mask mandate this week. And, and my old self, the old Zach, was, was adamant. I am not going to wear a mask. How dare the government tell me what to do? They do not have the right to tell me what to do. But the more I looked at my scripture, I could see nowhere in the Bible where it told me that I needed to go against the government in this issue, and that's just me. You guys have your own convictions, but I can tell you this. I am going to wear a mask if it helps me minister. I'm going to not wear a mask if it helps me minister. I do not care if I get COVID. And I'm going to tell you, if anybody walks into this door, if you have a mask on, if you do not have a mask on, you are welcome in this place. If anybody walks in that door and sits down, and and maybe their clothes aren't respectable, they are welcome in this place. I don't care if you have a different sexual orientation than me. You are allowed to sit down in this place and worship with me. But I can tell you this. I, Pastor Bill, we will never go against what the Word of God says. The Word of God will be preached in this church every day from this day forth forevermore. Evermore. My desire is for Jesus. And my desire for Jesus is greater than my desire to rebel against my government. Now there may be a place, don't get me wrong. If they told me that I could not meet in this place, I would rebel against our government. I promise you that. I believe that this Bible tells us that we should meet and that we should worship our Lord in this place. I believe that. Let's move on. 1 Peter 4.3 For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The Zach before Jesus is different. The Zach before Jesus is caught up in sensuality. A lack of control for my sexual desire. The Zach before was caught up in lusting, this deep desire for women. And I partied, I drank just to fulfill these desires. I could not get enough. And I wanted people around me to do the same thing so we could all live in these worldly desires and try to fill this emptiness in our heart, in my heart. And when I'm talking about orgies, I'm not just talking about sex parties. I'm talking about wanting to be around people and do these things that the world says to do. Lose ourselves in these enjoyments of the world. Encouraging others to even do these things. I know I'm not alone in this category, but that's your pastor. 
But I also have a desire to use those things to show what God has done in my life and to show the glory of God. Those things I have done in the past are in the past. My life is no longer based on those things that are in the past. My life is based on my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the same for you. And when we get caught up in these worldly desires, it inhibits our ability to listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, what's going to happen when you stop doing these things of the world? And I'm going to tell you that your real friends will respect you. One of my best friends, his name is Eric, and I'm not sure if he will ever come to Jesus Christ, but I can tell you that my best friend has never once made fun of me because I love Jesus. He's never once made fun of Jesus around me. And what is my responsibility? My responsibility is to continually share my faith with my friend because I have a deep desire that he comes to Jesus. That's your desire. That's your responsibility. What about the world that that disowns you? Those that really aren't your friend. What is your responsibility for these types of friends when you come to Jesus? And I think we need to be so careful here. We often think that we need to separate ourselves from the world and we can't hang out with these people. We need to hang out with our new friends, our new holy huddles, sing kumbaya and wait till Jesus comes back. We think that we are to be completely separated from the world and I got to admit to you, I would recommend this for a while. When you first come to Jesus, you need to surround yourself by other believers. You need to to allow yourself to be mature and to be trained and, and to live this life and understand what it means. But so often we stop it at this once in a while. We stop at that and we just continue in it. But there's something more. There's something more than what John 15, 19 says. If you are of this world, the world would love you as its own. Because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. And we think, oh yeah, you hate me, you malign me, you'll get yours. And there is justice. That's no doubt about it. There is justice in the world. And there has to be perfect justice. But I love how God measures the good that we do when we have the Holy Spirit. Though they may malign us, though they may be judged, that's not our focus. They may be judged tomorrow or they may be judged many years from now, but that is not our focus. Our focus is more like John 15, 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. In 27, you also will bear witness. You also will bear witness because you have been filled with Me from the beginning. I mean, who are we going to bear witness to if we are never around the world? And why would we not start with those that we have already built a relationship with? We so desperately need to understand that Christ suffices both in salvation and evangelism and also in judgment. 
And when you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, you can go and fight some battles. I would recommend that you not do it alone. Take a Christian brother with you. Jesus demonstrated that when He sent out His disciples. He sent them out in pairs. But nonetheless, when our training is over, and I know it's never stopped being over, but but when we've been trained, we must go out and we must fight in the war. I believe that so often the church spends so much time training and not enough time fighting. And I'm not talking about our fighting in here. I'm talking about fighting the battle that's out there. Which leads me to number three. Jesus suffices in life and in death. 1 Peter 4 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. In the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. The world does not get it. The people of the world do not get it that you have changed. They can see it, but they do not get why. I remember telling somebody that I was a pastor, one of my old friends back in the old days, and he was stunned. Now, over time, he got to see that. That I love Jesus and, and my love for Jesus is, is deep. But he didn't get it. And when you live, when you're like the world, when that is your life, when you live to be drunk, when you can't even go to the lake or the mountains or skiing or a ball game or anything without being drunk, why are you going to understand when somebody refuses not to do these things? When you're obsessed with women or men and you lust after them, why are you going to understand when people refuse not to do these things? Our desire, our desire should be not to live the ways of this world. But on top of that, God gave us this desire for something. This desire to fill this hole in our hearts. That's why the world is constantly looking for something to fill it and it can't fill what they're looking for. Whether it's partying or sex or even other religions, everybody is looking for something to fill this emptiness that resides in our heart and only Jesus Christ can fill that gap. I mean, we look out, do you really think that somebody can get it when we, when we think it's fun to discuss a book that was finished over 2,000 years ago? I mean, do we really think they're going to get it when we enjoy singing songs to a man that died 2,000 years ago? Do you really think they're going to get it when you come in here every Sunday and listen to a man yell and scream and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? On a side note, if if hearing the gospel ever gets old, I plead with you to pray. I am pretty sure the Holy Spirit wants to hear the gospel every second of the day. I cannot get enough of the gospel and what Jesus Christ did in my life. I look at Jesus. And I look at what He did on the cross. And it's so powerful. And the world doesn't understand that we don't sing songs to a dead man. We sing songs to a man that is alive and resurrected. But I so desperately want them to understand that. To understand that the only logical explanation is that Jesus Christ raised from the cross, raised from the dead. So I plead with us not to get angry when when somebody may say things that are mean. 
or may try to cause us harm. Peter is saying, relax, you are to love all, but Jesus, Jesus will have the last laugh. You can rest assured in that. Either they will come to Christ, to come to Christ, and, and all of that, they will be healed just like you are. Or they will be judged because they choose to not follow Jesus Christ. Either way, justice will be served. I promise you that. Verse 5, But they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And I've so often heard people stop their Christianity right there. They choose to live a life that is separated from the world. They say, You malign me and cause me harm and you will get what is coming to you. But Peter doesn't leave it there. And I stole these verses from Piper, but I love, I love what he's saying in here. He's talking about this goodness that we have. And the, and the goodness comes from Jesus Christ and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. 1 Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God, for that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He's saying to do good. And there will be foolish talk, but your good deeds will silence them. Your good deeds will silence them. In 1 Peter 3.16, Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I mean, we should have a good conscience because we have good behavior and we will be slandered. There is no doubt about it. But hopefully, hopefully they will see your good deeds and they will put to shame because they have maligned you for those good deeds. 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God on the day of visitation. We are to do good deeds. We are to have honorable conduct and they will speak against you, but they will glorify God. That should be our desire, that they will glorify God through our good deeds. Is that our heart? And we are to help others in the community. We are to do good in this community. We are to be the most generous people in this community. We are to be the most loving people in this community. We are to be the most helpful people. And this world is not our enemy. They have yet to understand what it means to surrender to Jesus Christ and to have this freedom from sin. And Peter is saying, rest assured, your good deeds will not go unnoticed. Not only are your old ways in the past, you don't need them anymore. You have Jesus, this new beginning in Jesus Christ. So often we struggle, but I understand it because you do struggle. You have this desire to walk with Christ and do His will, to hate sin. And now justice will be served. Rest assured that. But we don't have to focus on that. We don't have to focus on being maligned. We don't have to focus on that. We have to focus on doing good and reaching out to others. Now, verses 1 through 5, I get it. There's some tough places, but I think we get it so far. But then you read verse 6, and all of that goes out the window. Every bit of it. I, I could not figure out what he was trying to say for so long. I bet I read 15 commentaries trying to figure out the most possible solution for this. Let's read the text real quick. 1 Peter 4, 6. 
For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Why would the gospel need to be preached to those who are dead? I mean, if we were to die once and be judged, why would Peter be saying that the dead need to be preached to? And some commentators, they would go back to last week's verse, 1 Peter 3.19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. But the problem with this is that the word proclaim here is kirson, kirusan, I'm sorry about that, which means to proclaim or to, to preach. But this word preached in, in 1 Peter 4.6 is this word uangalon, which means to evangelize or to bring somebody to Christ. You see, when, when we proclaim, when we proclaim the word, it can be received or it can be denied. And we are called to proclaim. We are not called to convert people's hearts. That's not what he's saying at all. But when they do convert, that's evangelism. That's evangelism. And then we look at this, this statement. The dead people. Right? According to Scripture, they don't get a second chance. You have one chance. Luke 16, 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So this really cannot mean that they are preaching to those that are already dead. Then I read it and I thought about, well, maybe this means spiritual death. I mean, we see that often in the Bible. It's, it's all over the Bible. Death is linked to our spirituality all the time. And life is ranked, is, is, death is ranked to our, to our lack of spirituality. And life is ranked to the spirituality. But as I looked at it more, it just didn't make a sense. Why are these people that are maligning us? Why all of a sudden, because they are judged in the flesh, why all of a sudden now are they seeing life and death? And I was confused just like you are right now. And then I just thought, man, this doesn't make sense. There must be another solution. Especially because this word necros in the Greek, it means physical death. And it's in five and six. And I was going back and forth. And then I watched Piper. And Piper started to make a lot of sense. And Piper says that Peter is reassuring believers who are still alive that those who are already dead are still living in the Spirit. They are dead in this life, but they are not separated from God. But like the thief on the cross, they are with Jesus in paradise. And I tell you the story about this one lady. She showed up at the church. And I gave her some gift cards to get some food, and then I went and I was filling up her tank. And while I'm filling up her tank, she starts telling me that, that when we have Jesus, we will not die. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I get it, exactly, you know, we, we die to our sins, we're alive in Christ. And she goes, no, you will not physically die. And I stopped, and I thought about it, and I, I started to explain to her. I said, you know, I've known a lot of people that were Jesus followers that have passed away. And she says, no, if you're really a Jesus follower, you will not die. And I said... I'm sorry, but I can't go with that. That's not okay. And she took those cards and she threw them in my face and said, I do not want your cards and I wish I could give you back this gas. Now, I had a hose in my truck and I could have siphoned it, but she took off. But 
But why do I tell you this story? I mean, think about it. What was Peter dealing with when he's writing this book? What are the apostles telling people over and again, over again? And I believe most of them thought that Jesus would return very, very soon. And they're telling people that if you have Jesus, you will no longer die. And they're talking about spirituality, but, but they're also telling people that they will have eternal life. But yeah, believers are dying. Imagine what the world is telling them at this time. You Christians, you talk about eternal life. You talk about going from death to life. But what about all these believers who are dying? You guys are full of it. You do not know what you are saying. They are maligning them over and over again. And Peter is saying, he is giving us reassurance. He says, rest assured. Those who are already dead were believers. They were converted. And even though they were judged in their life, like you are being judged in your life, by the people of this world, all of us, every one of us, those that are alive and those that were dead before, we are saved by taking up our cross daily and surrendering to Jesus Christ. We have suffered with Him. All of us that have a desire to not sin and move past the sin and live a life devoted to Christ and give God the glory in everything that we do, living in the Spirit. Those that are dead, they have eternal life with Jesus Christ. And Peter says, take heart. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep giving to the poor. Keep taking care of the widows and the orphans. Keep loving people who persecute you. Keep living for Christ because all these promises, all the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ are true and they will be true forevermore. Christ's death on the cross suffices sin. Since the surrender to Jesus Christ suffices these worldly desires, take up your cross for Him. He suffices in all things. Christ will suffice, both in life and in death. When you leave this life and you go on to your eternity with Him, He will suffice in sacrifice. He will suffice in judgment. He will suffice in surrender. He will suffice in eternity. He will suffice in everything. And do not worry about the world says. Do not worry about what the world says, but use the good that comes through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And use that good to demonstrate who Jesus Christ is in your life. And wherever you go, whenever you do it, no matter what you say or what you do, let it give glory to Jesus Christ because you have a new life in Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I so desperately thank You for the new life. I thank You that I was so lost, but yet You suffice, and I'm so found in Your Son. Lord, I just pray that anybody, if anybody is in this room and has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, that right now they would make that decision to surrender their life to You. Because there is nothing like it. To have that hole filled, there is nothing like it. 
And Lord, I pray that that person, whoever it is, whoever you are, that you would surrender to Jesus Christ and that you would tell somebody and that you would study this word and that you would go into training so that you too could fight the battle alongside all of us. And I pray that we would not shy away from the battle. That we would fight the right battles. That we'd fight the battles against the evil in this world and not against ourselves, but those in this world that do not know your son against the enemy. That they would come to a saving grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.